Five o'clock on the Blitz. Work is over. It's time to let that bird fly. Free that bird, boys. Tulsa, happy Thursday. It is another edition of the show here on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app. I'm Colby Daniels, along with the 2023 Oklahoma Sportscaster of the Year, Jeremy Poplin. Scott File is on the other side of the glass in the Tulsa Oilers Hockey Studio. And we head to the Blitz hotline and say hello to Colin Kennedy with SoonersIllustrated.com and 24-7 Sports. Colin, I'm insanely jealous of you this week. How are things with you? Uh, well, if you're jealous of me, then I must be doing something right. I, I aspire to be more like Kobe and Pop every day. So to have that type of thought floating around there in the studio is truly an honor and a privilege. But I assume you're referencing the, the Shrine Bowl stuff going on down here, and it's it's been awesome. I, I think for Dallas in this Metroplex to have a draft process event not only is awesome, it just makes sense to me, and I think this week has proven that. It's been a really cool time. The East-West Shrine Bowl staff has been incredible. A lot of just really cool guys playing in this game, and I think it's going to be a really fun one tonight in the Ford Center. So I'm glad that you brought up kind of the setting that it's in because it feels like that this is the first year that the East-West Shrine Bowls kind of had a resurgence, Colin. I, I, this is more that I've seen about the game itself, not just because of guys like Rouse and, and Drake Stoops and what they're doing there, but just in general there's been more hype around this game than what there has been in the past. I think – you could have an argument that this year's roster maybe has a lot of talent that would draw the, the typical college football fan or NFL draft fan from the guys you mentioned to a uh, Chris Mahogany from Boston College, mm-hmm. the offensive lineman who is garnering almost first-round potential. And you can see why. He's strong as hell. I love guys that are not only good athletes, but they have ridiculous play strengths. And he's done that to this point. Cornelius Johnson from Michigan has been really solid this this week. There's some really talented defensive backs here. I think the offensive line group in general is is solid. But I think exactly what you mentioned, there's a lot of attention being drawn to this year's game. And I, I think it has a lot to do because of the setting and location. I think the years before, you know, this past year it was in Vegas. I don't think it was in a very – convenient setting and it wasn't necessarily out there in that brand new stadium either to my knowledge and then all those years before obviously it was played in the baseball field out there in the greater tampa bay area and i just i feel like you put a game like this in a football state like the state of texas you put it in a centrally located environment compared to the west of las vegas or the east of florida and all these people come here to Dallas, all this football media presence that are already here in DFW, like people are going to come. I, I can't tell you how many folks that who simply cover like the high school ranks in Texas high school football in the greater DFW area are out here for the Shrine Bowl because it's an opportunity for more exposure. A lot of these guys are from the area. And so I think in general it was an outstanding play by the directors of the Shrine Bowl to move this game here. And I, I really do hope that it, it becomes kind of a fixture of this area, because in my opinion, 
they've only profited from the amount of exposure that this area has given them. And, and I don't think that's going to slow down, especially because now of all the momentum that's been given to the game, you got to think this game's only going to get bigger and stronger if they keep it in a football-locked area like the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Similar to Mobile, right? I mean, football central there, and uh, those people just absolutely love uh, hosting that thing. I, I would also argue, Colin, that I think college football's never been more popular than it is right now, right? The, the numbers continue sure. to, yeah. to go off the charts when we look at these big matchups in primetime and obviously what happened this postseason in college football. And because there's more popularity, I, I think just the sport in general and, and the way that it's covered between, you know, the people that cover like the draft year round and draft prospects year round, there's just a, a much better job of showcasing the talent around college football outside of maybe, you know, just the, the blue bloods and the big brands that are loaded with talent. And I think on top of that, you mentioned college football in general is getting more popular. There's more media presence. There's more eyeballs on this sport than ever before. I think the extra layer to this is there's more of a talent distribution. I think in the era of the, the transfer portal and guys getting to move around and finding playing opportunities across the sport, these guys are professional-level players more than ever before. A lot of these guys have been able to garner more experience. You take a case like Walter Rouse, who played, what, four years at a place like Stanford and then developed at a place like Oklahoma under Bill Beanbow for one year, and now that guy's been the talk of this bowl week, to a number of other players who, like, for example – Former Oklahoma player David Uwebu is here. He played linebacker at Oklahoma, transfers to Houston, switches positions at defensive end, and now his name is garnering a lot more attention as a potential NFL draft prospect because of what he has done to better himself through things like the portal and all that. And there's so many other instances and cases, but the bottom line here is I believe that because of the talent distribution that's taken place in college football, the level of play has increased. Obviously, we've seen that in some of the parity that's happened in college football. But, again, that's because of the talent. It comes down to the Jimmys and Joes, and I think the amount of Jimmys and Joes in college athletics is improving. And it, it then comes to show in some of these showcases because, like, Northern Iowa's defensive tackle, who is here, for example, is whooping folks. And, I mean, like, embarrassing big-time players – because he's probably gotten more development than a guy in his situation has ever been able to receive before. I think it's really cool that on top of all this media presence that we talk about, right, there's now more investment in the sport, more coaching, more analysis, more staffers who can give these players resources, and you're seeing that play out on the field. And then when they go through these NFL draft processes and showcases, they're able to go head-to-head -head with other different levels of competitors at a very high rate, and as a result, we get more eyeballs drawn to these games because it's just it's good quality competition across the board. And there's only so many slots that are there available for the Senior Bowl, and I know that they've kind of both of them have changed a little bit of the rules to invite some more people in. I mean, we we got a, a CFL player that's in now there at the at the Shrine Game. Um, I'm like you, yeah. I like seeing some of the guys that are not going to get the invite 
to go to the Senior Bowl. One of the guys that I I really like that I was reading a report on today that I've seen several times, uh, the Juwan Briggs kid from Cincinnati has had a really good week uh, there uh, from what I've seen in Frisco. So just kind of following and keeping track of that. And, and with that said, how much of the hype around the performance from Drake Stoops was just us being here and living it and rooting for the young man? Uh, or is that all legit that we were reading and seeing coming out of Frisco about his performance this week? No, nah, man. I, first day of practice I pulled up, and it is like 8.30 in the morning, and he's lining it up with defensive backs who came from Florida State, Arizona State. Long story short, he was going up against guys who played high-level ball. And Drake was arguably one of the best day one wide receivers across the board uh, on both squads. And I think that that has largely carried over throughout the week. And there's a lot of receiver, receiver talent here. So it's not like a, a relative competition scale, right? There are dudes playing in this game who are high-level receivers that I personally believe are going to get drafted in solid spots. I think Drake, his situation is unique in that he came here legitimately with something on the line. A lot of these guys are playing in this game trying to maybe up their draft stock. His performance this week was about literally, are you going to get drafted or not? And I think the narrative that's now shaping his process is creating a serious argument as far as how these NFL teams need to evaluate this guy. And and I'll tell you this, like Drake is one of those individuals, in my opinion, who maybe he would actually benefit from being able to choose his own destination as a quote-unquote preferred undrafted free agent, right? You would be able to identify the ideal fit, sign with that team, knowing that they have a vested interest in him, and then fight for a roster spot. But the other part of this equation is you come here, you ball out, you could legitimately secure yourself as a draft selection, and, and that is obviously invaluable in some instances. So regardless, he's done himself a ton of favors, in my opinion, and he's He's one of the best here at creating separation. What he can do from the release off the line to stem into the top of the route, he, he does a lot of stuff, whether it's with his feet, with his head, with his hands, that puts defensive backs in very difficult situations. And on multiple occasions, there are high-level defensive backs here who have been completely turned around, literally, like facing the opposite direction because of what Drake Stoops can do. So I, I, I'm excited to see what he does tonight. I think when you look at Drake, he's had, to your question, a heck of a week of practice. I think there's no debating that. But now everyone's going to tune in knowing that that week of practice has happened. Maybe they haven't seen it yet. What does he do? Does he seize the moment? I'm going to be honest with you guys, too, kind of related to this. We talk about all these really good players, and Drake's one of them. I haven't been blown away by the quarterback group in this Shrine Bowl. I think it's a lot of guys who are not necessarily upper to middle tier draft picks. They might be more day three, low day three guys. And I I think that's something to monitor because as Drake Stoops tries to prove himself yet again after what he, all he's done in practice, what kind of help does he get from these quarterbacks when they can actually face a different team, one that they haven't been practicing against, and it's full go. They're going to go try and hit that guy it will impact Drake, and I want to see how he how he does because he's just been outstanding to this point in the process. Is there a scenario where he hears his name called in the draft? I mean, like I can't 
you never say never, right? I, I personally would still believe realistically, and, and you guys might disagree, but I still believe he's probably looking at a preferred undrafted free agent situation. Mm-hmm. I think That's he's going to be one of those opinion. guys. Yeah, I, I think he's going to be one of those guys. I kind of have compared him this week to a guy like Eric, Eric Stryker, who had some maybe draftable grades, but went undrafted and kind of became that preferred UDFA type, and he fielded, I, I can't remember how the story goes, but like 21 calls the moment the, the final draft selection hit zero. I, I feel like that's where Drake is headed. And I personally think a lot of fans who do not follow the process are going to take that as an offense. I feel like that would actually be the better scenario for him because I think my fear, and one thing I've really kind of come to learn throughout this Shrine Bowl practice week, my fear for Drake would be drafted to a situation that maybe they like him, but he would not necessarily like the setting, if that makes sense. I mean, he, I think to maximize his potential, he needs to maybe go to a, a timing-based system, almost with West Coast elements, or kind of this – I could see him fit in an offensive structure from like the Shanahan tree that took that West Coast into a wide zone play action – element scheme and blended the two together to where maybe he can help move the chains and work timing routes sometimes with defenses being bitten into the play action fake like that's kind of some of the stuff that I think Drake needs to evaluate when he's looking at these NFL teams and and I think there is a scenario where you could I mean he could maybe get drafted in the seventh round right like I can't rule it out but I also again just feel like it would make a lot of sense for him to be able to go undrafted and pick your own, like choose your own destiny, make sure you're comfortable where you're headed. And then all you have to worry about is being the best version of yourself every day, trying to make that 50 plus man roster. Colin Kennedy is our guest here on the Blitz 1170. Uh, The other thing with just both of these games, the shrine, and then also what's happening at the senior bowl uh, I think I asked you last week about there seems to be some negativity surrounding uh, Bill Biedenboe in the recruiting process, but let's not get it twisted. Uh, what the show that's being put on by the offensive linemen from Oklahoma uh, right now in these yeah. all-star versions are proving that from a technique standpoint, like they're as good as anyone, and it's because of the tutelage of, of Bill Biedenboe. And I, I hope that that gets kind of hammered home this week. Uh, especially with Tyler Guyton on the on the on the biggest stage of these games. Well, and, and that's the thing is everyone's probably been able to track early what Tyler Guyton has done. And, and if those of you who haven't been watching, the guy literally, I believe, opted out of the rest of the Senior Bowl stuff today because he's been so dominant, taking the path of some of the offensive tackles from last year's draft class who showed up to the Senior Bowl, did so well that they were like, all right, I don't think I need to show much more. And for Tyler Guyton to have that opportunity is, is massive. But then even on the flip side of this, like Walter Rouse has been undoubtedly one of the best offensive tackles in attendance here. And this is a really good group of offensive linemen here. Jacob Coker, KT Levinston. There's a lot of offensive line talent in the Shrine Bowl. And Walter, I think he had some question marks coming in after a really consistent quality year. I, I wanted to see how he held up from an upper body strength perspective. I wanted to see how he did against maybe speed to power rushers. 
And outside of a couple reps that he's lost, he's been outstanding. And I, I talked to one of the New York Jets assistant offensive line coaches the other day. I'll have a story up on that guy's thoughts later. But he was like, look, man, Walter Rouse came here and just showcased how technically savvy he is in addition to being a twitchy athlete at the left tackle position. And I feel like that's, that's not for nothing, right? I mean, it, you can get an elite athlete or a really good mover like a Tyler Guyton or a Walter Rouse, but what are you going to do to make sure that they can actually play the offensive line position? And I think both of these guys had major question marks to answer. I mean, Guyton has kind of been, in my evaluation, a shover. He has to clean up some stuff in the, in the footwork aspect of things. And then, obviously, like I mentioned, Walter Rouse has got to answer some questions as far as the upper body, things of that nature. They've both addressed address those questions at a very high rate over the course of these events. And I, I think they're both better off because of it through the teachings of Bill Beatonville. And I think the last thing I would say, I was talking to Walter the other day for an interview, and I think one of the best things that he said in our interview was, I really just wish I could go back for another year to learn from Bill. I, he repeatedly told me, I really want to go back to Oklahoma for another year if I could, because he firmly believes that through the tutelage of Bill Bingo, he could go even higher in the draft. And I, if, if that doesn't showcase the teachings, then I don't know what does. That A guy who has played college football for five years at you know outstanding institutions still wants to be with his offensive line coach at a place like Oklahoma because he feels like those lessons and those teachings are that valuable to return for a whole other season of college football. Again, like you mentioned, these are the types of things that people don't take into consideration when we talk about one of the best offensive line coaches in college football, but it's literally playing out before our own eyes. So he's got two guys shining at, uh, at, at, in front of NFL scouts at Senior Bowl and Shrine Bowl. And then he's got two guys that uh, you know might be the best linemen on their offensive line that are about to play in the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it sounds like Andrew Rame has had a pretty decent week at the Senior Bowl. I haven't been watching. He has, I yeah, been able he to has. watch every rep, and I think he's apparently been able to go out there and show a little center to guard flexibility. He's anchored well. It looks like I saw he's. It looks like his hand placement has been solid. It looks like he's been able to, to recover and, and readjust in pass protection settings pretty effectively. And that's, that's again, technical stuff and, and teachings. And, and then, obviously, like you mentioned, another year where Oklahoma has the most Super Bowl participants across the country. Some of those guys are obviously offensive linemen and prodigies of Bill Beatonbow and such, and yeah, I, I, I think it's, again, it's just a testament to how much this guy can be taken for granted. But if you're not willing to open your eyes and see what's going on across the country, there is no way to help people through what the reality of the situation is. All right, Colin. So with Monday, uh, Oklahoma getting uh, the transfer from Washington and Hatchet. We'll talk about him in a second. But just overall, sure. do you get the feeling that they are done in this cycle with additions out of the portal and it will be more of we'll take a look and see what we have coming up in the spring portal? Yeah, I, I think for now, 
things are relatively wrapped up, but I also would say a lot of that too is the scholarship count is pretty tight yep. going into spring. Um, I think Oklahoma is going to evaluate every offensive lineman that hits the portal. But for now, getting a guy like that within the context of this offensive line room in the, in the portal, now you, you truly not only can be, but have to be picky because you went out and spent what? 11 scholarships in the transfer portal. Uh, Three or four of them are offensive linemen. So there are obviously other position groups that I think that they would be willing to enter, entertain a transfer offensive line and defensive line is always going to be relevant, but the spring window now, I think not only has a lot to do with who goes in, but who might also go in from the Oklahoma side of the equation, because the matter of fact of the situation is now that they've signed 27 uh, enrollees from the freshman ranks and 11 players from the portal. That's, that's all, that's quite the haul. And so I think I, I will say this, I am personally monitoring what happens, guys, with Boston College. You know, Jeff Halfley, the head coach there, he is as a, an evaluator and a quote-unquote scouter of talent that I am. As much as I hate to say that, I will be the first one to admit, if Boston College under Jeff Halfley was the first to offer a prospect, I immediately would go look at the tape because he, he has something in that staff room or his own personal evaluation process that hits. I mean, he he is a very good identifier of talent, and because of that, Boston College has a number of talented players specifically on the offensive line. And, again, Christian Mahogany is proving that this week at the Shrine Bowl. So, depending on what happens with a place like BC, like I can't rule anything out because I thought they had one of the better offensive lines in the ACC this year. They have some really talented individuals. And so – these are kind of the situations, again, that pop up and you at least have to monitor. Obviously, Washington was one of them. But for now, considering not only the gets, but the impact that has on the current roster, I think things are pretty much closed until the spring. What is the anticipation, speaking of the spring, for the development of players already on campus on the offensive line for OU? Yeah, I think now – all eyes turn towards these transfer guys, right? Because I know Gary and Hatchet, I reported, I believe a day or two ago, officially moved in on campus and is going to go through one of workouts with the team. So he's set, signed, sealed, and delivered a member of the program, going to get to go through spring practices as well. Then you've got these other guys, Fabechi and Weiwu, Michael Tarquin, Spencer Brown. And I think when you – look at that group and then you think about a Troy Everett who they added from the portal last cycle a Jacob Sexton who is facing a massive year ahead and then a couple of the other guys from a depth perspective from like a Joshua Bates a young player who might compete for the starting center role to maybe a Logan Howland a Heath Ozida all the way to like these freshmen right who are coming in with a lot of praise Eugene Brooks dominated the all-star circuit. Eddie Pierre-Louis is like 335 pounds running track. And so a lot of these guys are on campus now. And it comes down to, in my opinion, 
I think a lot of these guys are big and strong. They're athletic. Like I, I don't. I'm not really worried about that aspect of it. Everyone talks about, oh, what are they going to do with Schmitty? I personally don't really care because Schmitty's going to get them right, and they're already big and strong and fast to begin with. They wouldn't be at Oklahoma if they weren't. What are they going to do from a football-related perspective that's going to better their game in order to capitalize on the spring and formulate a starting five that's going to allow Oklahoma to compete in the SEC? Because if that process doesn't start now, specifically on the football side of the equation, I, I, I can't reiterate this enough, I don't really give a damn about how much they're bench pressing or like how fast they're running. What are they going to do to build up that starting five so that they can be effective and cohesive roughly four to five weeks in? Because that SEC schedule is a gauntlet. They're facing a number of elite defensive linemen. And a lot of these guys who are going to start are going to be transfer portal guys. So it's a lot of new faces to each other. I think that just the addition of Hatchet alone makes you feel a lot more optimistic, right? Because his addition allows you to maybe have a little bit more depth than you would have been really – strung thin if you hadn't gotten him but even then there's a lot of work to do and i believe it starts now but not in the way that i think a lot of fans would anticipate well you're talking about them being thin i mean that position alone they lost what five guards uh, he's played he's played guard he's mainly been i think played right guard but he did play some left guard against texas um there in in the yeah. semifinal game what do we know about him because he's he's been kind of like sparingly over the last couple of years this isn't a 100 percent starter but it's still pretty massive for them considering that he is a guard with all of the lost players that they have just at that spot alone yeah i, I would be pretty shocked if he isn't your starting right guard in 2024 like i would be pretty floored i, I what limited amount of tape i have been able to watch on him I think he grades out as an 87 in the transporter rankings for us because it's six foot four and 303 pounds ish. Little bit on the undersized part of the equation, right? I, you, what are you going to do when? Well, luckily, Tavondre sweats now out of the conference, and yet you're still probably going to look at someone like Alfred Collins at Texas, who's what six five, 315 pounds. What are you going to do when that guy gets his mitts on you? But from what I've seen of Gary and Hatchet, he is able to get some good handwork in there and anchor effectively against bigger defensive linemen. I, I think one thing he shows as well is a pretty strong ability to navigate the second level. Some of the tape that I've seen on him, I think he can navigate the screen game. I think he can hold his own in maybe inside zone, outside zone, specific gap scheme looks like I think he can be a, a really solid mover for you and while I usually value that highly at left guard depending on how you run your offensive structure just as a guard in general your ability to move that is key if you're trying to call a run game that features the guard pull technique stuff right and I think his experience he started what four games last year played in a large amount of them. I believe double-digit game appeared, but had some injury concerns that held him out of action. So he, we're talking about this guy in maybe even a much different light if he doesn't get banged up last season, and that's that's something you can't take for granted. So all things considered, getting him is not only huge because again, I think all things he's probably your starter at right guard, but I uh, I also think getting him allows you to 
have things open up a little bit more freely for the rest of the offensive line. Because if you feel like he's your day one starter at right guard, now you're not necessarily as worried about just throwing out the limited amount of experience that you have. Now maybe anything from Michael Tarquin being a six-man off-the-bench type to being able to flip-flop guard presences like Fabechi and Weiwu, Michael Tarquin, some of these other young guys, like, it opens things up for a lot of other people around him, and that's why I think the addition of Hatchet is incredibly valuable. Do we know if these coaches are uh, going to be going for it on every fourth down situation tonight, or what's the <laughs> what's the analytic I, view of, of of this game? If we, if we have an analytics debate out of the Shrine Bowl, I'm going to throw up on the field. I'm I, you will see me puke on camera. If I have to hear one ounce of analytical debate, I'm sick of this crap. I, I, why it's even a thing, too, is like hilarious to me. Because I get the, up, the upset perspective of one side or the other. But also, let's all be adults. Like, we're acting like analytics is like some serious societal issue. Like, grow up. It's a football game. Let's all chill out a little bit. We can't do that. Where's the fun well, of that, Colin? Sense there, yeah. Colin. What are Come you doing, on, man? Here? Yeah, you know how this world works. I, I, sorry, guys. Logic is a killer. I guess I don't know. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Got to be extreme. Well, Colin, we appreciate it as always, my friend. Have a uh, great rest of your time covering the East West Shrine Bowl, and we'll catch up again next week. All right, fellas. Colin Kennedy with SoonersIllustrated.com and Twenty Four Seven Sports joining us. Here on the Blitz Hotline. I'm Colby Daniels. That is Jeremy Poplin. And Pop takes the reins next here on the Blitz 1170. And we are streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.